0: This is a very familiar passage or story about David and Goliath. And as we uh, look at this passage, I encourage you to uh, hold your mind wide open because there's some things in this story, in the verses I'm going to share with you, that you may not have seen before. In the bulletin there are some questions that we're going to answer as well. We begin at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered to suck which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Succah and Azekai and Ephes the And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span, or a little over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, or about 220 pounds. He had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, or about 20 pounds, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, "'Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to Me. If he is able to fight with Me and kill Me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In verse 16, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Skipping to verse 40. David is met with Saul and now he's ready to go face Goliath. It says, David took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and And began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day... I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Y'all may be seated we're in our church up series we'll be there for a while part of the rise up theme this year but also extending and church up is a verb I don't know if you've uh, been familiar with it yet or familiarized if you're using hashtag church up I hope you do I hope you're talking about the church I hope on uh, a regular basis you're talking about what we're trying to do here Church up is what you see others doing for Jesus that affects someone's life. It's not about what you're doing for Jesus, it's what you see others doing. They are churching up. Today, we're going to learn the power behind that. So hashtag church up and the power behind it is what today's message is about. Now this story of David and Goliath we're going to get to in a moment. It has a church up twist, but you need to know some background first. And there's a twist in it, not only because David picked up five stones when he only needed one, but there's a reason for that. But let me get you back in history to catch you up to this story and why David chose five stones. The five stones are very, very important in this story. And you might think, well, he only needed one. Why five, right? I'll share with you some history and then you'll begin to understand a little deeper. Back when Abram was called by God, he told him to leave his land where he lived and ur the Chaldeans and go to a place of which he would show him. He wound up in the area that is now Israel. And God said, this is the place. And Abram lived there. And God gave him a promise that he would have more descendants than stars in the sky and grains of sand on all the seashores. If you don't know what that means, that's a lot. That's a lot of offspring. Trillions and trillions of offspring. And Abram was obedient. But when Abram was 70, he still hadn't had a child. When he turned 90, he had his first one. 90. Um, I don't know about you, but this would be like John and Miss B. B having their second child about this time. For me, that just seems like a rather impossibility in our day and time. But Abram believed God. And when that child was born, they called him Isaac. Now he was still called Abram at this time. When God called him to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar at Mount Moriah... There, in his obedience, God reiterated the promise and changed his name. He changed his name by adding a letter to it. The letter Hay. It's the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which means breath of life. The Hay. So Abram with an H became Abraham. Ham, and his wife Sarai was given a Hay at the end. So it wasn't Sarah Hay, it was Sarah instead of Sarai. She had the breath of life on her now. God changed their names. When God begins to do a work in someone's life, He has a name for you that signifies the breath of God in you and the ministry that He has for you. Now, the reason I mention that is because that letter in the Hebrew alphabet stands for life, breath, Spirit. Now, that isn't the only thing that it stood for, but all people who learned their Hebrew alphabet from when it was derived until today even, know what this letter's for. Hey, the breath, the spirit letter. Now, there also is another significance for that because in the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, there are five of them. The 5th book, there are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The 5th book is the law book, if you will, where the Ten Commandments are given. And in the 6th chapter of Deuteronomy, after the Ten Commandments are given, God says to them, Hear, O hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. It is the Shabbat. The Shabbat is the thing that they need to remember. And God said, always remember this, and bind this word on your front door, on your hand and tassels, if you will, and on your forehead. (laughs) On your forehead, they put it in a phylactery strapped on their forehead with a talit, which is a leather strap, and there's a little box right here, and it's tucked in to that little box right here on the forehead. The Word of God that said, Hero, hero, Israel, the Lord, your God is one. In the next verse, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. These are the words that have become history-making throughout Hebrew history and throughout Judaism and Israel. Anywhere you go, there is a mezuzah hanging on a door of entry for their homes, businesses, and etc. that's tilted sideways and it has that verse in it. Written in Hebrew. Every time they go in and out, they touch it, kiss it, and go in and come out. This is what they do to remember God's word that He is one. Now you say, why is that important? Because the word God for them is YHWH. Or the letter the second and fourth letters of that are hey. So God is breath twice. YHWH. That's our English transliteration of it. Or YHWH. Or Yahweh. Sometimes translated as Jehovah. In this history, then, you see that that H signifies God. But in the Shabbat, it says our God is one. Our God is one God. And so when we begin to see that David picked up five stones and David had a heart for God, he picked up the stone that was symbolizing breath of life. Breath. The fifth book of the Torah, which would also remind him of the Shabbat. Now... If you are not familiar with why this matters, we're going to go a little further and a little deeper into this as we go along. Now, because Abraham and Sarah had the breath of life in them, then others who taught their history after that understood what was significant about that fifth letter. They understood that this is what gave them the father of their land. For us, what matters is that it's the breath of life in the fifth number. And the first number is the God number. Or if you will, the one, holy, one number. The beginning, the start of things. Now, we also know David picked up stones or pebbles in the, in the brook that was there. But we don't always know what size they were. But... Research was done, and the thorns were about this big. They were about four or five inches across uh, lengthwise, and they were smooth, kind of flat, so they would spin as they were slung out of his sling. They wouldn't like a football, but more like a Frisbee, spinning like this toward its target. Why? Because it meant it would not veer from its course. And if you aimed it, it went where it aimed. It did not curve. It went straight. That's important too. But there are stones in the Bible, a lot of different stones you'll read about. One of them is the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. You'll read about stones in John chapter 8 where the elders of the church were ready to stone a woman called in an adultery. And when they asked Jesus, should they stone her because the law says well, anybody called in adultery should be stoned to death, and Jesus after a moment of writing in the sand, stood up and said, whoever has no sin, throw stone number one. Now, we always say, cast the first stone, but what he said was, throw stone number one. The stone number one is the God stone. You think you're on a par with God, you throw the stone. It's what he was telling them. So stones were used for destruction, for killing, They're also used for building. It was their main building and still is their main building material in Israel today. That's basically what they have to build with. And Jesus Christ told Peter that he would be the rock. A stone is also called a rock. So you see, a rock is a foundational thing in scripture. It also can be used for destruction. We can hurl stones of destruction or give the rock of healing and hope, which is Jesus. This is how stones come through in the Bible. And if you look through your scriptures, you'll see different ways they're used. So, David, in this story, has come across his brothers taking supplies from his father's house to his brothers who were in the army of Israel. Now, David did this because back in the day, in that time, Families provided for their own people in the military. And they had a runner run back and forth from the family to feed their people in service there. Their government didn't provide that. They didn't carry it with them. They had someone who would run supplies from the family to their family members and come back home. And that's how news spread also, how uh, the army was faring at the time. But during this time, as we read the story... In the valley of Elah, the Philistine armies on one side on a mount, the Israelites on the other side of the mount, and and Goliath would come from the mountain where the Philistines were and come down into the valley and yell up to the Israelites for one man to fight him. One man to face him head on, face to face. Now, there's a reason for that. Because throughout the dawn of history, they would, instead of disseminating armies and people and all that, they would have their two strongest warriors, one from each side fight, and that would be determining which side won. And this is what tradition Goliath was pulling on. Now, he's over nine feet tall. He's got a sword, a spear, a javelin. He's wearing armor. He has a shield about four feet tall. He has a bronze helmet on his head. All these things on this big guy... And that means he was fit for close-range battle. Now hear me, this is important. Close-range battle means that he had to be within arm's reach or javelin's throw or spear-stab distance. So if you're going to engage Goliath, you had to get close to him. That's what Goliath was prepared for. He was a man of war since his youth, which means he had taken on all comers, was well-trained at it, and knew how to fight man to man. That was his element. Now let me tell you something. In your life, the enemy is going to try and get you close enough to him, or it, or whatever it is, that you begin to engage it on their turf. Mm -hmm. On their terms, so that you go up against them the way they say the war should be done. Mm -hmm. And that's what Goliath was calling out. You heard it when he said it. He said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we can fight together. I'm setting the terms. It's just one on one. Not fair odds, it looks like. And he would shout out to them and they would not be able to answer him because he was so big. He asked, why have you come up to line up to battle? Choose somebody. Let him come. If... Now this is great. If you lose to me, you serve us as a nation. If we lose to you, we will serve you. Do you understand? You do not throw that proposal out if you think you're going to lose. If you think you're going to win, you will offer that out, but not with the thought that I might lose. And so, all of Israel, and get this, King Saul. King Saul was afraid of Goliath. Now, in that day and time, the one who was to fight and lead the charge was the king. Not like today where the general's in the back of the line or somewhere in an office telling the guys what to do. The king led the charge and the king was supposed to take him on. But Saul was afraid. And do you know why Saul was afraid? Because Goliath was a giant, nine feet plus tall, had all these weapons of war, and although Saul was a skilled warrior, he had never been able to do hand-to-hand combat with someone that big. He had never faced that. And he was afraid of him. Why? Because Saul thought he was going against Goliath as Saul alone. Into the battle. And if you're going into a battle and think you are unarmed or unprotected or uncared for, you're going to feel alone when you go into the battle. What do you use to engage your enemies or those who propose to be your enemies? Are you going to use a sword? Strike first? Or are you going to use some other tactic? Jesus said to love them. Pray for them and bless them and you'll put burning coals on their head. Well, that's not how I engage my enemies. I'm not going to bless them and help them. That just makes no sense. But Jesus said that's how you engage, with love. But we don't know how to do that because we think we're going alone in this. Goliath had all those tools and a shield bearer carrying his shield. And Goliath had extreme confidence in his ability to win his battle face to face with any comer one at a time. He believed that these things were enough to fight and defeat any person that came against him. And he was right. You will not hear me say that he was wrong. He was absolutely correct. Hand to hand combat, he's the best. With those tools, with those weapons, he will win every time. Why? Because the enemy is better equipped to fight in close range. Hand to hand. They get their hands on you, wrap you up in your misery, and you're done. You're ready to give up. I surrender. I quit. No more fighting in me. But how do you change that battle? How do you change the odds from 100% one way to 100% the other? Why engage the enemy on their terms? Why battle with Satan or someone who doesn't know how to love on their terms? Why go after it with their logic? The world can't defeat that. There's only one way. And that's with love. And here's the thing about David. He knew he would win. Mm -hmm. And this really amazes us because David at this time is less than five feet tall. The giant is twice his height. So you get a reference, however tall you are, double it. That's the size of the guy. And he goes, I'm going to beat this guy. Oh, well, how come? Because he's defying God. He's not defying me. He's defying God. And God won't stand for that. God is the God of the armies and He's getting honor for Himself, not shame. And so when David heard about it and his brothers were talking to him, he said, why don't you go fight him, basically? And they said, because he's so big. And he said, I don't understand why he's so big here. God's bigger than that. And they laughed at him. The Israelite army members all laughed at him. But David got what he wanted, which was the word that he was not afraid to come to King Saul. And King Saul sent for David and called David into his presence and said, Hurry, you want to fight this guy? What insanity did a little youth like you <laughs> create this idea in your head? Are you mentally ill? I, I mean, that's not what he said, but it seems like a logical statement for a king who's afraid of this man to not think that a man who has less experience at war than him to be unafraid. doesn't make sense to him. And... Uh, David understands that uh, if he wins, he gets riches, the king's daughter, fame, and all these things. But he didn't really want that. Mm -hmm. And so when Saul sent for him, David said, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this giant. Don't let your heart fail because of the enemy. A lot of us see the enemy as big and scary. No matter what it is we're facing, it can be all sorts of things. And I've had several different enemies in my life and they're not always people. They can be struggles with depression, anxiety, addiction, uh, codependency, anger, frustration. It can be relationship struggles. All these things, the enemy is trying to come against us and here... The words of David, don't let your heart fail because of the enemy, because of what's come against you. But isn't it true, once you lose heart, you don't want to try as hard? You just kind of want to give up and say, what's the use? It never works out. I just can't make it any different. Well, the fact is, you're absolutely right when you say those things. You cannot make it any different. Only God can. Quit trying to be God. And here, David says that, and Saul says, this is what Saul said. This is the same thing going in your head when, when we hear, do not be afraid from God. He says, David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're just a kid and he's a man of war since he was a kid. You're not qualified. You don't know enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough skill. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're up against. There's something inadequate in you that says you can't face this and win. And the king says to this man, I see you, but you're a man who is not like that man. And this is what our mind says. I can't face this. I can't win. Why should I try? And the whole thing is even your friend's will discourage you from trusting God. This is the king of Israel. And he says, David, you can't beat him. And David looks at him and says, you don't know who I am, do you? What I've done. And David starts to talk to him. And he says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. Um, don't miss that. Try to take a bone or a piece of steak away from a dog. Now try to take it away from a lion or a bear. A little more difficult task, isn't it? And David said, I do that. I'm not afraid of that. I catch it by its beard and I strike it and I kill it. I've killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine would be to me like one of them. After all, he's defied the armies of the living God. He's not after us. He's defying God. And Goliath doesn't know this because he doesn't know who God is. And we'll see how this is true. And if you don't believe God is on your side, it's going to be really tough to fight the battles in your life. Let alone want to. And then David said, The Lord, get this. He said, I went and killed these things, but it was the Lord that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and He'll definitely deliver me from this this man. I may have done this, but it's the Lord that delivered me. Never forget who fights your battles, even if you're doing the work God is the one delivering you. David had a heart for God and God backed David up in what he did. And God would supernaturally work through David in those situations and provide victory. And Saul tried to wage war on the enemy's terms, didn't he? Gave him a coat of armor, his own, and it didn't fit David. David said, I can't use this. It doesn't fit right. I have never tested it. I don't know if I can do my thing. I'm not really after protecting myself with your armor. I'm not after doing this the world's way. I've got to do it the way God has taught me and anointed me. And so he goes, and it doesn't fit. And David says, "I'm not going to use your armor." And Saul says, "Go, and the Lord be with you." <laughs> All of a sudden, Saul doesn't have the Lord on his side, but he wants the Lord to be with. The... It's, a, it's a polite way of saying. Saul has no clue what he's talking about. Saul has already lost the presence and anointing of God in his life at this time, and David has already been anointed to be the next king. And Saul is not aware of who David is. So David goes, and as the story goes, he chooses the five stones. And this is where we pause. Because he could have picked up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They chose five. Mm-hmm. Five is the number for Deuteronomy, for the Shabbat, for the promise of God for the promises of life. For the hay when God is added in. And I believe every time he went somewhere, he grabbed five stones and five stones only, no matter how many he might have needed. Because he only needed one, because God is the one God. So he had the reminder of five and one. Because he only put one stone in his sling, didn't he? It's all would fit. So he grabbed the five stones. And he says... I'm grabbing the law, I'm grabbing my God, and I'm grabbing the breath of life. And I believe that He was connected and encouraged in that moment. One, God. Two, the presence. Three, uh, I don't remember what three is. Four, almost completion. Five, God's breath in me. God is in me. I remember. I'm ready. I don't need all five, but I need His breath. I need Him and the reminder of Him and me to go out. And if you don't go out with the presence of God with you, you're going to feel like you're unarmed and unprotected. And so he gets those things. And here's the funny thing about it. The Philistine comes out, drawing near to David. And David is ready. And you might think, well, how do you know he's ready? Because he runs. He runs to the battle. He doesn't limber up and walk. He knows from fighting lions and bears that time is of the essence. And when God is on your side, the time is now to act when God says go. And he ran and started swinging that sling. And they say that it'll go 180 to 200 miles an hour when the stone is released. That's like a bullet impact with that much energy in that big of a stone. And David runs and lets the stone fly and it hits Goliath in the forehead. Mm -hmm. Now Goliath up to this point has been cursing David by the gods of the Philistines. Mm -hmm. If Goliath had been a Hebrew and believed in that God, he would have the talit and the phylacteries right in the middle of his forehead, mm-hmm. where the Word of God was to be kept, so you wouldn't forget who God was. But he was unprotected in one spot, the God spot. Mm-hmm. And where did the stone hit Goliath? In the God spot, because Goliath didn't have God. He had false gods. And therefore, that was unprotected. But David knew that. And he said the only spot that he's unprotected in all this armor is where he should be worshipping the holy God. And he defied him by not even wearing his word on his forehead. And that's where I'm throwing that stone. And that's where it hit him. And that's what knocked him out. You can't go into battle with the enemy without the Word of God. The enemy doesn't use the Word of God or the truth of God or the Spirit of God or the promise of God or Jesus Christ. And so when Christ is presented to them, it knocks them over. They don't understand. It takes away their defenses. They cannot understand Jesus Christ. They cannot stand against Jesus Christ either that's how i know david knew he would win because of what he did and how he did it i think this stone is called the church up stone david never called it that but i think it is it's the stone that says i'm gonna go out in the name of jesus and i'm gonna love god and i'm going to fling with gentleness the rock of salvation The stone, the builders rejected. I'm going to offer them Jesus. Goliath didn't want that. So this morning, you may be looking over your life and see some struggles or things you might be facing. And I want to encourage you from this story, what David did and what Goliath did to see how you may be engaging the wrong way and how you can engage The right way. It's quite simple. The wrong way is this unprotected without God's Word. Even in the armor of God, we read that the sword that we have is the Word of God. The sword of the Word of God is our. It's the only thing we got. The Word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. Sharper. If you don't have that sword, the Word of God in you, you don't have anything with which to present to the enemy. You've just got you. I'm going to ask you a question. How would you like to go up against what you're facing without any help just yourself like you are? No defenses, no promises. Just what the enemy says is true and what you say and try to defend with your own efforts. Are you willing to do that? It's a losing battle. Goliath will win every time. And so, Goliath went unprotected. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? He's got a full body armor on. He's got a shield bearer, a sword, a spear, and a javelin on his back. All three of these things. And he's got to be able to see, so he's got a little hole right here in his below his helmet, so he can see. And he's walking by sight. <laughs> Not faith. And there he is, Thinking he's protected except in the place where the protection needs to be, which is from God being the true God in his life. And it cost him his life. I promise you, Goliath believed he would win that day. He believed it with all that he had. And he had never faced the living God before. You say, oh no, he faced David in a sling. No, because David didn't go in his own name. Here's what David took with him. And you'll hear it in verse 45. Goliath, you came to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. That's what the enemy does. It's predictable. To stab, cut, throw. But I have come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied, and the Lord's going to deliver you to me. And I'm going to strike you and take your head from you so that all the earth may know there is a God. In all this assembly, Israelites who forgot, and King Saul who forgot, and the Philistines who didn't know God, will all know there is a God in Israel. That the Lord doesn't use swords and spears. He uses other methods. So what are you going to go to battle with? Are you going to stay steeped in the Word of God and in prayer and trusting that the Lord is on your side, asking the Holy Spirit to fill you when you go and engage your daily life? Are you going to go alone, Unprotected except for with your best wits. I'm going to lose that one most every time. (laughs) Or every time. Because the enemy is smarter. Mm -hmm. Cunning. And he's coming not to just injure. He's coming to kill and destroy me and to seek me out. Do you think I need to go along unprotected? Do you think you should? I don't think so. So plant the Word of God in your heart, in your mind, every moment of your day, quoting, memorizing, understanding that it will change your life when you come up against difficulties. That's a church up kind of thing. Because when you do that, God will do the things through you that inspire others to believe. Don't miss this. This day, God will be made known and given glory in the camp of the Israelites and in King Saul, who didn't trust God at the time, but also the enemy will know there's a God too. And that he's on your side, and guess what happens the next time an enemy comes up against you? You'll say, "Oh, that one. Think I'll uh, go somewhere else. Why? Because you've come in the name of the living God, not your own, for his glory, and your enemy sees that, because you're clothed in God's righteousness when you do, in prayer in holiness and in His Word in your heart. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, it is so true that our lives are sometimes a struggle and a battle, but at the same time, You also promise that we have deliverance, that Your everlasting arms are strong enough to hold us, to keep us, that we find shelter there, we find peace, we find joy, we find newness of life, we find strength, We find courage, but more so, God. When that battle was over, it wasn't just David rejoicing that day. It was an entire nation inspired and knew at that moment that God was who he said he was. God, when you show up, things change. So I'm asking, Heavenly Father, if there's anybody here today who's found that things just aren't showing up right now, that they would begin to engage on your terms with the enemy and realize that the enemy is at your mercy, that we are not at its. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for that. And ask your encouragement today on us as we need it. Amen.